0: Friends, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible or take one from the Pew Rack in front of me, in front of you, to Genesis Genesis 27 as we continue our series looking at the life of Jacob. If you do have a Pew Bible, you'll find this on page 21. As you turn there, let me share with you one of my favorite quotes. It comes from Mark Twain, who said, Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. And it's kind of hard to argue with both parts of that sentence. First of all, clothes make the man. In our culture, clothing has, has great significance. It has, for example, a, a functional significance. We wear some clothes to work. We wear other clothes to work out in. We wear yet more clothes to lay around the house. We, we even have clothes that we put on to go to bed. Uh, functional significance, but but also vocational significance. If we uh, go for lunch together after the service, uh, sitting in the mall, perhaps we'll be able to look out and say, "Oh, that's the construction worker," and "Yeah, that's the, that's the businessman," and, that, and "That's the the, the young mum." We're able to, to tell something about people's vocation from the clothes that they wear. Uh, functional, vocational, but also clothing signifies status. Signifies status. Take. Take something as simple as a pair of jeans. Okay? You can buy jeans in Walmart, or you can buy Levi's, or you can buy Abercrombie and Fitch. You can spend as much or as little as you want on a pair of jeans, and your decision there says something about you, communicates something about you. Clothes make the man. Well, if that's, uh, you know, hard to disagree with, I think it's also pretty hard to disagree with the fact that naked people have little or no influence on society. I think that's, like, demonstrably self-evidently true. We don't really need examples of how that's the case, although I was thinking, I don't know if you watched any of the presidential debates, yeah? Mercifully, all clothed, right? Um, There you go. Now, the Bible would tell us that, that clothing can also have deep spiritual significance as well. The clothing can have deep spiritual significance for good or perhaps for ill. And I hope by the end of our time together that we'll all understand just why. So with that context of clothing in mind, let's go to Genesis chapter 27, pick up the text in verse 1. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah, remember that's Isaac's wife, was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing." His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me. My son, only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, May God give you of the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we do ask that you would come now and be our teacher. You have promised to send your spirit to lead us into truth, and so we ask that the spirit who is alive in the hearts of your people would be stirred, that we might behold wondrous things in your law. We pray it in the perfect name of your Son, Christ. Amen. So the cast of this week's chapter is the same as the cast of the last couple of weeks. We have two twin brothers and two parents, a remarkably dysfunctional family that finds itself deeply divided. You remember that in that decidedly red corner, we have Esau and his father, Isaac. Esau is rough and tough physically, but has shown himself to be emotionally a little fragile, given to self-pity. Yet his ability to, to literally bring home the bacon makes him his father's favorite. In the blue corner, on the other hand, we have Jacob and his mother, Rebecca. Now, Jacob is not jacked like Esau, but he is twice as smart and four times as devious. And his tendency to stay around the tents to be around his mother has made him his mother's favorite. This family is a complete mess. Utter disaster of a family. It's like the worst of reality TV. Now, believe it or not, this week, things get worse. (laughs) Things get worse. Remember back in chapter 25, if you want to flick back there for a second, in verse 23, we got a verse that was going to be central for how we understand all of Jacob's life. Here, when Rebecca is still pregnant with the twins, God told her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and remember, the older shall serve the younger. In other words, the Lord appeared and, and told Rebekah and Isaac that these sons of theirs would in time become the leader of two great nations. But that these nations would be in, in conflict with each other. There would be strife and enmity between them, but it would be the younger son that would prevail. The power, the position, the prestige would belong to the younger son, Jacob. Now, as if that's not bad enough for our older brother Esau, chapter 26 reminds us that the prominence of the younger son wouldn't just be measured in power and prestige. That there was going to be more to it than that. Look with me at the start of 26. You'll see the heading there says, God's promise to Isaac. So God shows up and he makes this promise to Isaac, the same promise that he'd made to Isaac's father, Abraham, that through Isaac's offspring, all nations on the earth would be blessed, that it would be through Isaac's descendants that the Savior would come. In other words, Isaac's great-great-greater grandson would be none other than Jesus himself. So you see what's happening here. The position of number one son in Isaac's family isn't just a matter of inheritance. It isn't just a matter of getting land and getting leadership within the family. It's also a matter of being part of the line that will lead to Christ. So there's great spiritual dynamics at play in this text and in this situation. Whichever son receives the blessing, whichever son is number one, will receive land, leadership, and the line. That takes us to chapter 27, where Isaac, a papa bear, is nearing his deathbed. The time has come for him to pass his blessing onto the son who will be his heir. Onto that son who will receive land, leadership, and the line. Now understand that the the blessing isn't just some kind of warm and fuzzy well-wish, you know, like, have a wonderful day. The blessing is a legal action. It's the legal deed whereby the torch is passed from one generation to the other. It's the signing of the contract, if you will. So in verses 1 through 4, we see that Isaac's plan is to pass this legal torch onto his older son, Esau. Esau will be his heir and so to that end he sends Esau off to do what Esau does best which is hunt game and come back with a tasty meal. Isaac it seems is always looking for a way to satisfy his senses. When he returns Isaac will grant the blessing and Esau will be the heir. But in verse 5 you catch it there we get a twist. Because Rebecca has been eavesdropping on this plan, and she quickly now puts into motion a counter plan of her own. She devises this scheme to con Isaac into blessing her favorite son, Jacob. Uh, first, we read in verse 12 that Jacob's reluctant to go along with this scheme, not because of any moral integrity, but just because he's afraid they'll get caught. And so, in verse 13, we get the most chilling words in the text. You see them there? Let your curse be on me. Let your curse be on me. Now, in these three characters, in these three jokers, we could really continue the depressing study of sin that we started last week. Last week we began to reflect upon how our passage gave us a a study in how sin works, an anatomy of sin that in their lives we saw ourselves and understood a little more about what makes us tick. And and this week we could really continue down that trajectory. We think perhaps of, of Isaac, who's so caught up in what he wants to do that he doesn't care about what the Lord has told him to do. So the Lord had appeared and said, you know, the older shall serve the younger. You're to bless your younger son. He is the one through whom uh, all this is to unfold. But, but, but Isaac has, has just pushed that to one side. He's so intent on doing what he wants to do that he doesn't care about what God has told him to do. And again, that resonates with us because we know that our sin, we don't sin by accident. And we very rarely sin out of ignorance. We don't sin because I didn't realize I wasn't meant to say that kind of thing to my wife. I didn't realize, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I wasn't meant to compare myself to others and covet what they had. We don't sin out of ignorance. We sin because we get caught up in doing what it is that we want to do to the point that we don't care about what the Lord has told us to do. I know what you've said, but I will not have your word to rule over me. Something very rebellious about the nature of sin. So we can continue our study in sin with with Isaac, but Rebecca gives us new material this week as well. She's so set on what it is that she wants to do that she doesn't care about the consequences of her sin. So said upon having uh, the blessing passed to Jacob that, that she's prepared for a curse to fall upon herself. As she has, if you like, a tunnel vision. It has overcome her in the way that sin typically does. Sin often has, has a way of, of casting a spell over us. Casting a spell so that we have this remarkable ability just not to think about other things. Not to think about the implications or, or the consequences of what it is we're doing. I think this is particularly true, and you see it a lot, with, with sexual sin, whether that's pornography or a full-blown affair. Our ability to just push thoughts of consequences to one side, that we will continue in our sin for the moment. Of course, in time, the spell will break, and it will bring ruin either for the moment or perhaps even for generations. But we're able to disregard the consequences. Such is our sin. So yeah, in our study in sin, some from Isaac, some from Rebecca, and and I guess one more from from Jacob as well. He hesitates, and for a moment you think, oh, for the first time, it seems like Jacob's about to do the right thing in our texts. And then, no. Why does he hesitate? He hesitates solely because he's afraid they'll get found out. So as soon as he's reassured that they won't get found out, he's happy to proceed. He doesn't care about Integrity. He cares about what he can get away with. And again, unfortunately, that resonates with us. We all give ourselves a license on things we think we can get away with. Forgetting, the Bible would teach us, that you are who you are when no one else is looking. That's the, that's the measure of a man. That's the measure of, of a woman. Who are you when no one else is looking? It's such a depressing scene. It's such a depressing family. As we hold it up, it's quite a depressing mirror as well. So each, uh, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob have, have made up their minds and then the rest of the scene unfolds starting in verse 18. Now isn't it interesting, did you notice as we read how verses 18 through 27 unfold this heist in remarkably sensual terms. Remarkably sensual terms. What do I mean by that? I mean that Isaac is deceived by the very senses he sought to satisfy. It starts in verse 18 with his sight. Do you see it there? Jacob enters the room. Isaac calls out to him, Who are you, my son? His eyes have grown dim with the passage of time. He does not have 20-20 vision. Much more than that, he's unable even to tell the difference between his two boys. And so he's vulnerable. His senses leave him vulnerable to their clever disguise. After seeing the problems with his sight, we see uh, problems with his touch in verse 21. He beckons Jacob to him. You see it there and says, uh, where are we now? Uh, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So he knows that his sight isn't the best, and so he has, he has a plan B. My, my sight might let me down, but my sense of touch will win the day. And yet, Jacob draws near, and Isaac's fumbling fingers are unable to distinguish between Esau's hairy hands and Jacob's goatskin gloves. And isn't that, I love that detail too, to just kind of inform us quite how hairy Esau is. You know, you've got a hand on your son and a goat, and you can't tell the difference between the two, you know? <laughs> a remarkably hairy dude. Again, his senses let him down. But it's not just sight, it's not just touch. Look in verse 25 where we see his his taste buds let him down. He calls for dinner, you see it there, and says, bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. But when the meal comes, he is unable to taste the difference between the game, the venison, that his son was to catch and the goat curry that his wife has in fact made. Again, his senses let him down. Continues in verse 27. Sight, touch, taste, now smell. Seems like he is suspicious. It seems like he can tell something's not quite right. So he calls him to come near once more. And then we read that he does what? He smelled the smell of his garments. But Jacob and his mum have thought of everything. Jacob is dressed in Esau's clothes. Jacob is probably swimming in these oversized work clothes so that he will smell like his brother. And even Isaac's sense of smell will win the day. The only sense that appears to tell him the truth is his hearing. In verse 22, he mutters, The voice is Jacob's voice. Perhaps the voice was too high, too squeaky to be the voice of the rugged Esau. But in the face of all the other senses, he disbelieves his ears. Isaac, uh, sorry, Jacob, for his part, uh, plays this scene like an Oscar winner, right? Jacob proved he is, he is smooth in more ways than one, okay? Um, he's thought of everything, and he's willing to stop at nothing. Yes, he's willing to, to dress the part, Secondly, though, he's willing to tell bold-faced lies. As several of them, including in verse 24, where Isaac directly says to him, Are you my son Esau? And he replies, I am. And not just dressing, not just lying, but also, thirdly, you know how he, he invokes the name of the Lord in his deception? Verse 20 uh, Isaac says to him how is it that you've made it back so quickly You know, hunting should have taken him a little longer and Jacob has the audacity to say the Lord your God granted me success pulling the Lord into his wickedness pulling the Lord into his lie and so what are we expecting next it will all fall flat on its face no verses 28 and 29 the plan works The plan works. Isaac blesses Jacob. Blesses the younger son with an inheritance. With land, with leadership, with the line that will lead to Christ. He is now the heir. Yes, their ruse will soon be discovered, but by that point it's too late. The legal deed has been done. Uh, The names have been signed on the dotted line. This thing is carved in stone. Jacob got everything he ever wanted. All he had to do? Pretend to be someone that I'm not. Pretend to be someone that I'm not. And at that moment, does our passage not once again become a mirror for us? A mirror of the human heart and how we so often act? Do we not all have this this deep desire for blessing? A deep desire to be blessed. Now, perhaps not with the inheritance, land leadership line, but to be blessed with something else. What is it that makes you feel blessed? What is it that makes you feel like all is well? For some, it's to be admired and respected and honored. Then they'll feel blessed. For others, it's to be thought capable or competent or successful. Then they'll feel blessed; all will be be well. For some others, it's to be thought beautiful or attractive, to be loved, to be even liked. If that's in place, then you'll feel blessed; it'll be well with your soul. Others, it's to be strong and trusted or reliable. It can be any a number of things. But do you know yourself? What is it you feel your soul needs? in order to be blessed, in order to say that all is well. And how do many of us attempt to get these blessings? Same way as Jacob. Pretend to be someone that we're not. Pretend to be someone that we're not. Now, of course, we've graduated beyond the goatskins. Most of us are, are far more sophisticated. But many of us still dress up. Do you know how you dress up? Perhaps like Jacob you literally dress up your appearance. Every pound is measured, every salad is eaten, every hair is in place to just try and mask your flaws. Perhaps it's not your appearance that you use to to dress yourself up, perhaps it's your job. If you feel busy and important and successful or perhaps rich, you feel you can cover up your fears others dress up with relationships those delightfully above average kids we spoke about last week or that boyfriend that girlfriend that spouse who seems to validate you that in their shadow you feel like all is well others let's be honest about it others dress up using church using church Show up here and be devoted and diligent and godly and do the best you can to cover up the hypocrisy that you really know is in your life. Any number of ways that we'll dress up to find blessing. The problem is, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. I mentioned that it appeared to work for Jacob, but in the long run, it really didn't. Let's look at this together. First of all, uh, though it seemed like it would, the magic carpet soon began to unravel. By verse 30 in the end of this chapter, his deception has been discovered. And by the very next chapter, he's been forced to flee for his life. When Esau found out about what had happened, he is so livid that he is ready to murder his brother. And Jacob, who is a wee pansy boy with no means to defend himself, has to up and leave. And so he leaves. He leaves the promised land. The land that people had journeyed for, for hundreds of years and then 40 years in the wilderness. He has to up and leave for, for another 20 years in the wilderness. He has to leave behind that great inheritance to live in relative poverty. He has to leave behind his mother, who he will never see again on this earth. Can you imagine the bitterness of that moment for Rebecca? She loved her son and she wanted him to have this position of prestige and so she was prepared to lie and cheat to get it and then her very acts of (laughs) sin and rebellion lead her to never see her son again. Bitter pill of sin. So it didn't work out for him in the long run. It's worth asking, though, if it really even worked out for him in in the short term. Even when the blessing came, in that moment itself, verse 27, when the blessing is given and the inheritance comes, one preacher comments, At that moment, Jacob would finally have gotten the look on Isaac's face he'd always wanted. He'd always wanted Dad to approve of him. And now he gets that look, that radiant, loving, joyful look. He got the look on Isaac's face he'd always wanted, and he heard the words from Isaac's lips he'd always wanted to hear, and yet he knew it wasn't him who Isaac was loving. How empty it must have been that even in that moment of blessing, he knew it was not intended for him. He knew it was not Intended for him, but was in fact meant for another. And so, looking for blessing by dressing up—it didn't actually work out for Jacob, and it doesn't really work out for us either. Yes, it might feel good for a while when you get the love, get the respect, get the affirmation, get whatever it is that you're looking for. But very soon, it just gets tiring. Again, get goatskins and your brother's clothes, and you know, hunting game dressing up gets tiring and in the end doesn't it feel shallow? <laughs> if people only accept you because you pretend to be someone else it, it ends up feeling very shallow you know, if people knew what I was really like they wouldn't accept me and so we end up feeling that way if people, if my colleagues knew what I was really like they wouldn't think as high, highly of me as they do If people knew what I was really like, there's no way they'd let me lead a small group at this church. If people knew what I was like, there's no way they'd let me be an elder or a deacon or on a board of women. If people knew I was really like, there's no way I'd be your pastor. So, what a club. (laughs) What a club. What a club indeed. Here's our conundrum. We deeply want blessing. But we deeply want to be blessed for being ourselves. We deeply want someone to bless us, not who we're pretending pretending to be. And doesn't that take us to another Jacob? Doesn't that desire? Doesn't that take us to another Jacob, to another man who dressed up in clothes that weren't his own? To another man who dressed up like his brothers. To Jesus who dressed up like us. He put on sin. Along with flesh and bone. On the cross he wore it all. Dressing even to the grave clothes. And so one commentator says. This is a, I love this. Wake your neighbor up. okay? I love this. Listen to one commentator. He says, In the most awesome reversal of all, Jesus graciously says to us what Rebecca had rashly said to Jacob. Let the curse be on me. Let the curse be on me. Because Jesus didn't dress up to steal another's blessing. Jesus dressed up like us that we might receive his blessing. Those robes of righteousness that cover our moral nakedness, that cover our spiritual shame. The only place where you can be yourself and be blessed is the cross. Is the cross. Why? You can be yourself. Such a mess that Jesus had to die for you. And you can be blessed so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. It's the only place we can be ourselves and to be blessed. Grace is the only thing that will give you everything you long for without making you dress up. Without making you pretend to be someone that you're not. This is why at McLean we like to say that we take Jesus a little more seriously and ourselves a little less seriously. Why? Because... Gospel grace creates in us the sense of blessing, this deep internal security, this deep well-being, this deep freedom that enables us to rest, to take ourselves a little less seriously. To rest, I invite you to rest. Rest in your appearance. Friends, eat all the salad you want, okay? I don't get it, but go for it, right? Eat all the salad you want. And know that no matter what the scale says, you are beautiful to the king. And attack your job with all the energy you have. And we've been created and designed to have a drive and a life and a purpose. So that's that's a good thing. Go for the day. Uh, Get up early. Go to bed tired. You know, go for your life. But remember that no matter what you achieve, you're already acceptable to the king. And enjoy your relationships. These these above average kids, love them. And this spouse of yours, celebrate them. Men, our, our disposition toward our wife should be one of celebration. Just because of who they are, not because of what we're trying to get from. And most of all, if you're going to rest anywhere, if you're going to be yourself anywhere, then do it here in this church. Where together, we can... Not try and hide our hypocrisy, but laugh about the fact that Jesus saves ridiculous sinners and then recommissions us for usefulness. What kind of gospel is this? What kind of gospel is this? Grace, once again, we find changes everything. Friends, in a couple of weeks, it's the Oscars, and a steady stream of predominantly white stars will march their way down the red carpet. And they'll all be asked this famous question. You know the question? Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? How would you answer that question this morning? Who is it that you are wearing? Are you seeking blessing by trying to dress up as another? Are you enjoying the robes of righteousness that Christ has given you at the cross? We wear Christ, and friends, he looks good on us. He looks good on us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, once again, we marvel at the gospel. How is it that we can find blessing? Surely it's by... Achieving something, or at least pretending to have achieved something. But no, only grace enables us to be ourselves and be blessed at the same time. Honest about the mess we've made of our lives, yet secure in the love that you have for us in your Son. So Father, I pray that this gospel would be taking a root in our heart and in our soul, and it would be changing our instincts and changing our reactions as we step on the scale and head to the office and interact with our families and come to this church. Would we embody these truths of the gospel? Surely, Lord, as we are wearing your robes of righteousness. It's in the name of your son that we pray these things. Amen.